Talani's encampment, in the forest beyond the greater river. Sololo sensed herself falling. She tried to find her voice, but found herself startled upright in her cot instead. The other women in the consort house stirred. Another dream, one of them mumbled and flopped back to sleep. The matron rolled out of her cot and shuffled over to Sololo. A regular prophetess, this one! She grabbed the young woman by the chin and swooped her baggy face in to investigate, as though she might discover some cause for the trouble in the young woman's eyes. Sololo recoiled from the matron's milk-rot breath. It was... only a dream. The trouble wasn't her eyes, but the birthmark on her forehead. A spirit eye, a prophet's mark, a stupid speck that wouldn't wash off. Her dreams were no different than anyone's, except they sometimes came true. Not immediately or in obvious ways, but as true as the sun and the mountains. So they told her. The matron tugged her outside by the sleeve. He decides what's nothing. Turns out it's important and I hold back, ha! Huh? The matron scoffed at the very idea. They stopped on the porch long enough that the matron could light a lantern. Dark as death. Why's he have us all the way out here against the wall? The reason was plain enough. The more important you were, the closer you slept to the centre. To him. She was only important when he wanted something from her. From edge to centre. From centre to edge. Back and forth. Up and down. Always moving. Never arriving. Come along now. If you waste his time, it's not me he'll beat. Sololo had never felt Talani's hand. He had others for that. The matron for one. He barked her name in the consort house, the courtyards or the gardens but was always tender with her when he brought her back to his cabin. They never joined as a mother and father would. He wanted no heirs, no entanglements. But whatever else he could imagine, they did. Not that he was never safe. One moment he might be calm, almost meek, and the next consumed by fiery rage. So she learned how to read him, to anticipate his every whim and mood, making herself a blank tablet to write on, as he chose. Day after day, she did whatever was necessary until it became what she wanted all along. A dozen summers, or a little less than half her life, she had spent in the consort house. They were privileged, pampered or imprisoned, depending on how one chose to look at it. Sololo chose not to. I had a people once, not this people. A home, not this home. I was myself, but someone else. Someone who blew away on the wind. I can forget or I can pretend. I have many talents. She followed one step behind the matron, past rings of cabins, down cedar plank pathways, through terraced gardens of ornamental grasses with fish ponds that reflected the image of the full moon. The wind rustled the cabin eaves, arousing the soft tinkle of wooden chimes. They don't work. Shadows come anyway. They reached Talani's cabin in the centre of the complex. Its steeply sloped roof was shingled into wings like a giant bird of prey, its sharp-beaked head jutting from the peak of the high porch. She found the roof eagle's gaze intimidating, which was the point. Stop slouching, girl. They waited on Talani's porch. Inside, he would be arranging himself into some dramatic scene. Was he vain? In a manner of speaking, yes. An ambitious warlord prefers to be not only seen but beheld. Who was she to pass judgment? Everything he has is for show, myself included. When one of the guards glanced at Sololo, the matron poked his shoulder. Not for you, stump rot. Stop leering and fetch your wakaru. 
a military advisor named Kalentar emerged from inside, a middle-aged wild boar of a man squat with loose watery eyes and a patchy mane. He's ready. Your men are lax. Grumbling, the matron limped back toward her cot. Curtain pulled aside, Kalantar signalled for her to enter. Inside, Talani lounged in his bedclothes on a wicker stool, half-lit by an oil lamp, scarf draped over bare shoulders, ivory combs in his hair, brass ringlets on each arm, as though he had been asleep wearing jewellery. He leaned forward into the light. A vision? Gathering her long skirts, she sat on the plank floor in front of him, looking up at him, the sharp lines of his shoulders, the curl of his lip neither sneer nor smile, the way he propped his right hand on his knee, a slight spinal deformity that he never acknowledged, as though he were straight and the world crooked. She made herself as small as possible, letting her loose black hair fall across her cheek. Yes, Wekaru, a dream. I'm on a high summit facing his throne with the banners of a hundred dynasties swirling around. Beneath his feet, thirteen springs of blood erupt and spiral out. They merge and encircle the land. Then comes a thunderclap, followed by a ball of fire in the sky. We are engulfed in flame, not burned, but left in a scorched plain. The earth opens under me and... Oh, I can't tell him that. She had to tell him something. Wikaru, I have seen a vision of... Glory. He stood fast then slow. His hand lunged at her like a serpent, slowing just before the strike. Clasping gingerly around her wrist, he guided her up to sit in his place. Fast, slow, fast, ragged, syncopated. This was his way, distorting time as he moved through it. This left everyone else off balance, constantly reacting to his every tiny gesture. Is he excited or angry? Tell me. Not angry. She recounted the first half of the dream, eyes wide, pausing to let her images sink in. The birthmark was a burden, but the attention it brought was not always unwelcome. Before she came to the fireball, she hesitated, pulling a lock of hair behind her ear. The rest of the vision is... unclear. If she continued, she would have to lie. Could he tell? He stared at her, expectant. It is my vision to tell as best I can. The spirits had to know this when they chose me. She closed her eyes and continued, imagining the scene as she told it. The earth heaves and splits and everything is flattened. Trees, hills, even the mountains. The wind blows harder than hard and a shadow blocks the sun darker than dark. The wind comes from the wings of a monstrous bird. A hawk. No, an eagle. She grew more confident as her fiction unfolded. Its eyes are yellow flames and it has curved horns like an ox. She pointed her fingers beside her temples to signify the horns. His bemused expression set her at ease. Then what? I cowered beneath your skirts and clutched your legs. No one would confront it. It swooped with its claws to snatch you from your throne. She held her hands like talons. You commanded it to kneel, so it obeyed. You took it by the neck, and we flew off together on its back. She noticed herself fidgeting, laid her hands in her lap. That's when I woke up. He stared off into the distance, silent. After a while he stood and took both her hands. A vision of glory. He traced a spiral in the air. The bloodlines are broken. I have already consolidated the woodland dynasties. Narala, Lolo, Skiptelli and all the minor families. Thirteen streams? That can only mean the families of our people will be united. Under your feet, Wekaru. That much was from the true vision. Had she been wrong to protect him? It was too late now. 
The eagle or was it a hawk? She couldn't say what either story meant, the vision or the fabrication. The interpretation of signs belonged to him or his mother. Her readings were wise, subtle. His were dull and always reinforced his prior plans. Why not? He thinks earth, sky, sea and all the spirits agree with him on every point. Could be the domain of kind here. He rolled his tongue around in his cheek in thought. Unless it is our wayward cousins. Thus he referred to the communities of Silgathaltha not yet consolidated under his rule. She turned away from his stare, angling her head to display her cheek, her ear, the corner of her jaw. He brushed the back of his hand against her neck, whispering, It is a good vision. He moved his hand down to her shoulder and unknotted her sash. You are a priestess, and I am your god. Tonight is a night of worship. Its meaning now clear, his gaze was no longer uncomfortable. That night they joined as they never had before, as man and wife, father and mother. She believed the lie.